Hey y'all! Welcome to Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. I'm Abby Artemisia of The Wander School. Each episode, I bring you stories, tips, and tricks from foragers and wildcrafters around the world to empower you on your wild path. Please remember to practice safe foraging by being 100% positive of your identification before consuming anything wild. Happy listening! Come on, everyone, and gather around. Listen to the soothing in this sound. I'm here to tell you that medicine don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground. The medicine we need grows all around us. Hi, and welcome back. I'm Abby Artemisia, and I am so excited about this episode and today's podcast guest. I want to say thank you, as always, to my patrons on Patreon at patreon.com slash thewanderschool. So you can go there and get ongoing botanical education and a special bonus interview with today's guest, among lots of other wonderful things. So we'll talk about that bonus interview here in a bit. But I want to introduce you to today's guest my new and dear friend, Tyson Sampson. Tyson and I met last December, right around the winter solstice, mm. at our friend Jeannie Dunn's house, who is an all-around amazing person, herbalist, and the owner of Red Moon Herbs, so definitely check them out. And... We were making fire cider together. What an amazing way to meet. So I still just feel so blessed to have met you. And also, Tyson and I have been involved lately because if you didn't hear, exciting news, the Wander School became a nonprofit. And part of what we're doing in that nonprofit is getting herbs and herbal medicine out to communities who need them. And so um, I have been working with the Cherokee people and bringing herbs and herbal medicine out and helping to process herbs that they have harvested, which I feel like I have probably learned more than I have helped. So thank you for that. I want to give Tyson a chance to introduce himself because we were trying to figure out how to introduce him and what his title is. And honestly, there's just so many incredible things that you do. So I would rather give you a chance to introduce yourself and this special treat that he has offered to introduce himself in the traditional Cherokee language. Shio the Kanahi Samsoni Dagwado Ah Agwanasha Gedoha Elawodi Dikalanga Anizalagi Ayo Ya Hello 
My name is Tyson Sampson, and I my home is here on the Eastern Cherokee uh, homeland called Elawalti, which could translate to mean the beautiful painted earth. And I am Eastern Cherokee in this homeland location. It's kind of the gist there. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. We're going to talk a little bit today about this land where we actually are recording today. And this is the traditional Cherokee land where Tyson was born and raised and has come back to live. So I want to talk about that. And I also want to tell you that if you want to learn more and go beyond what we're going to talk about today, and you want to support what Tyson is doing here on this Cherokee land, you can check out the Organic Grower School. There is a recording of the presentation that Tyson did called Gathering in Wildcrafting and another one that was about cultivating traditional crops. And that was from the Organic Grower School Conference just this past September. And there will be a link to that in the blog along with more info and Tyson's contact info. And that will be at thewanderschool.com. Those presentations were also given with Tyson's aunt and cousin and friend Charles, who is a fluent Cherokee speaker. So, Tyson, do you want to talk to us about this land where we are right now? And I know that you wanted to share more about what it was like here in the past and what it's like now. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is the land where my family lives and where we come from, whether we're conscious of the fact that we have a very long, long, long history of having lived in this one area, um, reaching far back before... Um, Colonization, basically, is the the key word there, mm -hmm. because um, the history that occurred here that um, you know disrupted a very long-lasting living system of life, and so. It's really hard to comprehend on a very superficial level. You know, it's like not anything that you could really imagine until you 
maybe really do take into consideration. And I think that's something I've done in my own personal life. And I can't speak for all Cherokee people. I can't even speak for my family necessarily, but I can speak from my own expression and my own experiences and my awareness. And so I, I think back to growing up here and I was really fascinated with the people who, who I was raised around, mostly my grandma and her sisters and, and my great-grandmother and her uh, siblings and their families down the line. And so I felt a, a very young age that these were very fascinating people. And so I just tried to pay attention and listen. And a lot of times that wasn't conducive for a kid when I, as a, since I was a kid. Um, back then, I think the reason why I got to be around a lot of the older people was because I was my grandmother's firstborn grandchild. And so I kind of became her tail. Hmm. And so as early as a, the age of five years old, I remember uh, listening to the older people talk. And a lot of times they were, um, I noticed that a lot of the elder people in Cherokee, they spoke Cherokee. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was always very discreet, you know, it was always very um, personal affair, you know, and it was always uh, usually filled with a lot of concern, depending on what the conversation was, or humor, lots of uh, laughter. Mm-hmm. And um, as I got older and older, I realized that it was less and less common, what I had begun to observe as a, as a kid. So as I got older, that it made me reflect and think back to what might it have been like living in this area, in this land, in these mountains prior to, um, you know, the, the, the turn of events that were to come about and, um, and then learning for my own interest uh, uh, what happened to the Cherokee people and what they had to commit themselves to in order to um, have a life. And so a lot of that meant complying with, uh, you know, federal policies and the Indian Relocation Act or whatever, whatever it was called. It's called, no, that was something different. That was, uh, the Indian Removal Act, you know, so I know that they're, you know, when I think of myself as a Cherokee person, I, there's a whole diaspora of Cherokee people, you know, but I just happen to be one individual who has taken this into consideration in my own life's experiences because um, all of my life's experiences uh, growing and, you know, um, being in recovery process and 
has always pointed back to who I am as an indigenous person. And looking at the things that I learned through my family about, especially about their relationship to wild foods. Mm. Um, I've shared this on a number of occasions that when I first started meeting plant people of today, like 20 years ago, um, I was living in Asheville and I were meeting, I was meeting people my age who, you know, we had a common interest of hiking. And up until that point, my, you know, my grandma had already passed away and several of my great aunts, you know, were still living and that kind of thing. But the, the days of going to the woods with them had, had ended, mm. you know, so I kind of left that behind because I, you know, become a college student and thought that I was forward thinking and <laughs> um, thought that I was on a path of, you know, getting a college education and a career and all this stuff um, with lots of hard knocks and experiences that just kept humbling me and humbling me. So by the time I'm, you know, in my mid to late 20s, I'm meeting people who, who, who enjoyed outdoor enthusiasm, especially, you know, i.e. hiking. And then I remember very poignantly this one time being on a trail and my friend who I was with was picking dandelion greens and chickweed. <laughs> and I just remember this perplexed response to this person. And I said, why are you picking weeds? Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, it's because it's uh, what I'm learning. Oh. And so we were on a trail where there was ample and abundant wild greens that, that I, I grew up eating. And it was Sochan, which is... Um, it's a staple food for us in the springtime. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, why aren't they teaching you about this plant? And my friend said, well, they're not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about this. So I said, well, you can eat this. You know? mm -hmm. So my friend picked a little bit and took it home and made a pesto out of it, which I just... <laughs> I couldn't even fathom that because that's, I've never eaten it like that. Um, it's a pot herb. Right. And so I said, you, you know, you got to cook that. That's yeah. what makes it really delicious. But, but the whole feeling of like realizing in the moment that I had categorized how I grew up around certain, you know, my people, my family. Mm -hmm. And I had labeled it somewhere in my, you know, categorizing mentality that I was learning in the, you know, modern world, that that was my past, my past of growing up. And we did that and 
we went across the you know the road from where my grandma's home place is was is that we did that because we were poor mm. that we did that because we were in poverty yeah and so it just was really mind blowing to me that there was somebody my own age who was learning about plants and there was a turning point for me at the same time. So it was a kind of tragic in a way of like looking back on this this life of growing up especially with my grandmother who was just the apple of my eye, mm. you know, like the most trusted person in my world. Mm-hmm. And to realize that I look back on that as this young, probably chauvinistic person at that point, <laughs> as something that was beneath me. Mm-hmm. And... It just really put into check, in perspective, like, the life that I thought I was heading for, which was never really going to amount to a hill of beans anyway. (laughs) So I began to accept that part of myself, like, my, that, that true indigenous life that I had been given but I had thought because of going to college and being around you know other people my age who were this you know the children of cardiologists and you know that was a life that I could have never I wasn't from that mm-hmm. I, so I could have never even wished that I had that kind of experience because I was just raised by the most down-home, salt-of-the-earth kind of people. Mm-hmm. And that's my mom's family. Wow. You know, and it's uh, all my cousins and siblings and people that I'm inextricably linked to. So it just became this whole process of accepting Myself. Mm -hmm. And it was a very individualistic reality, but it just kept pointing back to the part, the reality that I am, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. A sense of place, Mm -hmm. a sense of community, you know, a whole identity. You know, yeah. But you know, I had to spend you know several more years of just um, fleshing out whatever my frustrations were about you know social social norms and social whatever had been projected, you know, whatever. And then I was projecting, you know. And so now, you know, of course, it's 
I'm starting to see the the blessing and getting older. Mm. And so I'm not just so hung up, you know. I'm like, oh, poor me. Um, you know, I grew up with a family who made basic foods on basic provisions that I'm realizing now in my life, you can do this. Like we can, we, 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 as one of my sister friends had said, we're all going to eat. And that's sort of why I do what I do now is because we're at a very uncertain time. We always mm-hmm. have been at a very uncertain time. And that's what hmm. life and growing up in a tribal community reveals to me now is that we live one day at a time. Mm-hmm. So when the shutdown stay-at-home orders came and the pandemic was like this, you know, major eruption for everybody in the yeah. world. And people would ask me, what's it like? <laughs> what's it like over in your community? You know, and I was like, it's pretty cool because it's one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And it has always been that. Mm-hmm. It didn't take a pandemic to come around for, you know, people that I know in my community and my family of origin to realize, oh, we've been doing this for so long, you know, and then we just watched the world around us. I watched the world around us fall, just fall to pieces, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm so grateful I'm truly amazed and appreciative that I was raised by these people who know what good food is based on being able to, you know, gather what you need and the bounty is set forth in the wild and, you know, in nature. Mm-hmm. And so my my Auntie Amy has been raising the basic foods that my family has always relied on, which mm-hmm. is um, white flour corn grown in the garden and ground into a meal. And so we eat lye dumplings, bean dumplings. Mm-hmm. Chestnut bread. Those are our staples. Yeah. And then those are always accentuated or accompanied by some wild greens. You know. Yeah. Anything from ramps to sochan to mountain salad on into whatever else is coming up throughout the, the year. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's my palate. Now, and I realized that growing up as a kid, like, you know, um, my grandmother and her sisters and even my granny, my great grandmother, they they always had um, a traditional foods uh, throughout the year. They would even, well, oftentimes it was like, you know, family dinners. Um, but then in the fall time, they always had a food booth at the fall fair. 
And my grandmother's, my granny, she was my great grandma. She always had a food booth and everybody on the entire reservation knew that that's where you go to get the best, mm -hmm. we call it Indian dinner. And so that's a basic meat mm -hmm. and a green and a starch and fat back. Mm. And so then the, and the, and the dumpling. Yeah. So the dumpling is your bread. Nice. So it's basically like a, you know, grit cake mm -hmm. or like a polenta cake. Uh -huh. Of course, I'm saying that and I don't, <laughs> as I try to say that, I realize I'm insulting, you know, our basic food ways because it's a bean dumpling. Mm -hmm. And without the beans, it's called a lye dumpling or some of the people call it soda dumpling. And it's it's an extemporization process, you know. Um, but the important reality for me in all of this, and even talking about it, is that it's a surefire way for people to eat. Yeah. Especially in a time when, you know. People are having a hard time gathering their food resources or, you know, the philanthropic aspects of our society these days are, you know, providing um, food boxes or some type of a man of food relief, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But for me, when I moved home 10 years ago, a couple of my grandma's sisters who cooked every day were still feeding a lot of people from their own kitchen table. And I saw that. And then they passed away. A couple of these aunts of mine passed away within a year of each other. And then it was like, well, who's going to make the dumplings now? And um, so I started making them. And so it's gotten to the point now where you know, some people in the community will call me up and say, you know, I need some bean dumplings. And I will clear my table, will clear my stove, and do what I saw my grandmother do. And that's interesting, too, because when I first made the dumplings, I lived out west in Colorado, and my dumplings turned into like mush. They turned into porridge <laughs> because I never took into consideration the elevation change, uh -huh. the elevation differences. And so when my dumplings turned into porridge, I, I, I vowed I would never try that again. But then all those years later, when I finally moved back home, I said, I'm going to do it. And so, because I also am a kind of person that realizes that nothing happens just because I say it's going to happen. I have to have some support. Mm -hmm. I have to have some, some, some essential and spiritual reinforcement. So I call, you know, on the the uh, the power 
powerful technology of prayer um, to ask for some inspiration and some help. And then it was like it just came to me. I, I, I was mixing up a bowl of bean dumplings one day, and I held my my arms up in front of me, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to watch my hands do what I saw my grandma do. Wow. And I literally saw, I remembered her motions of how she would, you know, mix that cornmeal with the beans at a burning hot temperature and and not injure myself. <laughs> and um, And of course they're all boiled, you know. So you're working with like this hot, dough and then you're just patting it out and and boiling it and I just remember all this from being a kid and and realizing and remembering my grandma say when they float to the top they're done <laughs> so that's what I did and it it brings to me this is my world, you know, this this story I'm telling you has everything to do with this place that I know mm-hmm. and those people in it. Yeah. And in the meantime, you always got the stories. Yes. I always got the stories of who people were. And, you know, my grandmother would mention like a certain family and she would say, these people, they're your people, you know. And so to this day, I still go by that. Like, whoever she said my people were, that's my people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, I can interact with people from um, the reservation. And if they don't know me, all I have to do is give a name. Like, I will say my grandma's name, and they'll be like, oh. I'll give that nod. And they'll tell, you know, they might share a story. But it's like... It's really built into the stories. Mm-hmm. It really is about, like, and that's where I realized the, the importance of people mm-hmm. in this narrative with talking about plants. Yeah. And for me, I that whole moment of where I, where I realized I had been ashamed Mm-hmm. of having lived in poverty transformed um, into um, me embarking on my my own adult um, journey or, or my journey as a as a grown up you know yeah and I think about that a lot too, because I, you know, I do talk about my grandma a lot. I think about her every day, and she's been passed on for um, almost thirty years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I say she had a ninth-grade education, but she was probably one of the most brilliant human beings I've ever met, and I've met a lot of cool people. Mm-hmm. You know, cool people like you. Ah, uh, who's doing cool things? But uh, yeah. But um. 
But having known somebody like that, you know, she had seven kids. Mm-hmm. And she raised them with the help of her sisters and her mom, my granny. It's just a web. It was a very, you know, tight knit woven web that problems, there were tragedies, but people got through them together too. That's another thing about, I think, how, how I feel about how my, my existence is here mm-hmm. is that it's not, it's not just about me. And I think we're entering into a time where, well, we've, it's been, we've been entering it for a while as humans, but, um, on the surface, we're taught to be so, you know, self-absorbed, really. Self-reliant, independent. Right. You know. But really, you know, I've had to question that and 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 question that. And question that. I mean, just wore out. Mm-hmm. I've been to that point in my life. And so then, you know, even... In periods of recovery and like, you know, learning more about myself, it keeps pointing back to this, like how that people need people. Yes. People need plants. Plants need people. I've been writing yes. I've been writing about this lately. I've mostly been writing about it for for my community though. Mm-hmm. Um Whatever I'm doing, even this interview, my ulterior motive is that it is going to be a tool for my community. Yes. I mean, and not even necessarily... There. Well, let me back up by saying, like, hopefully this will be a tool for anybody from the community that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. That's the best way for me to say it, because... Um, I don't know a lot of the young people, but one thing I do know is that the young people today, they don't have the kind of young people, the young people today, they don't have the kind of old people that I saw. Mm. And I'm not saying, oh, look at me, that's what I had, you know. Right. I just sat here and told you that I was ashamed of growing up and what I thought eventually I saw is abject poverty. Yeah. But when you're growing up in it, you don't really see it that way. It's just how life is. You know. So that's why I keep going back to, you know. Yeah. I I, I finally become one of those people who I've often heard in my life, you know, and they would always say, oh, mama said, or, you know, Grandpa used to say, you know, even the judge wrote a song called that, you know, it's a country song. Well, I just wanted to add in real quick that, you know, I think it's really interesting thinking about poverty and what is poverty. And we are this super consumerist culture these days. And... It's poverty or prosperity is judged on things by what things we have, how many things we have and how many things that we can buy. And, 
You know, I always say that I used to forage professionally and I would sell the things that I foraged to restaurants. And I started realizing that it was of greater value to me to keep them for myself and my community. Yes. Because I was selling these things to restaurants that I couldn't afford to eat at. And I could make that food myself that might not be as fancy, but will be just as delicious. Interesting. And eat. And you're selling these them local for money. Foods. And I'm selling them for money. And money for you to spend on probably your bills. Right. And this is something that's been coming a lot, up a lot for me lately, too. Yeah. I've shared it with a number of my friends. But my grandma, like I said, you know, she always said these things that, like, never made sense to me when I was 16 years old when I heard her say them. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them is, is that when I got a driver's license, I had the great honor of... Um, she didn't have a driver's license, so I had the great honor of being, you know, her driver. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, um, she really didn't like to ride in cars anyway. But when, when we did have to go somewhere, of course, she'd jump in. But she'd always grab her seatbelt and she'd click it. And as she was doing that, she would always say, don't ever pay for anything you can't eat. Wow. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've <laughs> thought about that so much. I bet. As an adult. I'm like, ooh. Because <laughs> back then, I just kind of, I, I probably just rolled my eyes at her, you know, like, oh, God, Grandma, you say the weirdest stuff. <laughs> but now in my life, I'm like, what am I going to, you know, for example, I don't, I don't have Wi-Fi at my house. Uh-huh. It's amazing. I can't eat Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> Right? It's true. Yeah. 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 Well. I mean, of course, you know, that can be broken down or, you know, from an objective perspective, it can be analyzed or whatever. But I I guess that's where that part of me is, is old fashioned too now. (laughs) Or they used to say old timey. Yeah. And it's kind of weird for me to think of my, and I I have, I've had to embrace myself. That part of me, mm-hmm. um, an identity. Yeah. You know, for one, I am uh, like what my grandma said. She was, she's a Cherokee Indian. Yeah, through and through, and we're not one. I'm gonna have to. This is kind of gonna might come a little harsh to some people, but I didn't just have a, a grandparent who think that they might have had some Cherokee blood. Right. No. No, my grandma was a full-blooded Cherokee woman, and she would be the first to remind you of that, mm-hmm. you know. And so I got that. She gave that to me. Talk about a gift. Heck yeah. You know, and that's why I share with people, even if they're beloved friends, <laughs> who have identified that they have Cherokee ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'll say, good, that's good, that's important. You learn about that. Yeah. You know? And that's a very compassionate, loving aspect coming from a person from Cherokee. Yeah. The place. Mm-hmm. This place I'm talking about. Right. Um, 
<laughs> because I have, I, I, I have people in my family who would say, no, you're not. You're not Cherokee. And what they mean if they did say that. And I think I have heard of situations where they've said that. Yeah. You haven't been in the struggle. Mm-hmm. There's not a day that goes by where we're not Cherokee people. Yeah. You know, like, it's what our ancestors have given us. The part of our ancestry that is God. Yeah. That is that energy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. You know? So... It's been interesting coming from a people who have seemingly lost a lot. But the more that I talk to other people, and especially other Cherokee people, it's still there. Yeah. It's still there. Well, and it's it's interesting too, right? Because the Cherokee and all indigenous folks have lost so much. And... The part that you have that quote-unquote white people don't have is you know where your people came from. Mm-hmm. You know what land they lived on. Mm-hmm. You know what they were eating because you eat the same things mm-hmm. that they ate. And I think that's an amazing gift. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I wrote about that, about Sochan. Last year, I was just kind of writing some little prose about the flavor of Sochan. Mm-hmm. And in the springtime, when you're, when you're interfacing with Cherokee people, when we greet each other, we say, have you had any Sochan yet? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And for your people who don't know what it is, I think it's uh, called rutabekia. It's a it's a relative to echinacea. It is the cutleaf cone right. flower. Yeah, there's a couple of English yeah. names for it. One being cutleaf cone flower. Yeah. One being green headed cone flower because the center of that flower is green. The petals are yellow. I'm so glad because I want I would love for you to talk about it. But um, I didn't know that plant till I moved to North Carolina, and. Uh, it was, Nobody knows that plant like we know that plant. I bet. Yeah. And I say that effortlessly, mm-hmm. meaning confidently. And the yeah. word Sochan is Cherokee? Dang right. <laughs> That's our word. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I remind people of that. We have names for plants and mushrooms and trees that those things know that their name when they're said in Cherokee. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, it, like, it brings up a whole other realm of the, the mind's ability to think outside of itself. And it brings up, like, yes, it does. feelings, you know? Yeah. And that's why we've, 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 I think we as, you know, Cherokee people, indigenous people, 
I've really maintained like not sharing a lot mm -hmm. because it's not it's not felt in the same manner. Meaning, yeah. it's not like there's no nostalgia there for people who have never experienced it. And that, once again, I stand the risk of sounding, you know, like you know, chauvinistic about it. But right. But I but I really feel more encouraging. Really, mm -hmm. that's my intention. Yeah, and encouraging. I. I mean, because because in my mind, I'm like, okay, who's going to hear what I'm saying? You know? Yes. Yes, and I so. Who's going to hear what I'm saying? Because. Really, who I want to hear what I'm saying is is my grandma's people. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that's who I want to hear what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's not an ego thing. It's not. It's not points of discussion for egomania. It's points right. of discussion for for soul mm -hmm. and spirit, especially yeah. while you're living. Here on this plane, this last I heard, we live on the earth. Yeah. We're not living in a movie <laughs> or, you know, a YouTube video or. That's true. You know, yeah. It's so, you know, this, we're having a certain kind of experience in these, you know, water filled bodies. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. this has been, there's been some interesting discussions <laughs> lately about water. Yeah. And how water, and, and you really heard that a lot, you know, when they were doing those um, uh, protests out mm -hmm. in uh, North Dakota, South yeah, Dakota. Yeah, Standing Rock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Water is life. They kept saying that, you know. Yeah. And I kept saying, gosh, couldn't they come up with a better slogan? Like... <laughs> I mean, don't we all know that water is life, really? Not everybody does, you know? apparently. <laughs> and I was hanging out with a friend the other day who just blurted out, you know, this thought. And my friend said, we all come from water. Yeah. And I was like, what? What, a, what, a, what an interesting, curious, and but yet profound thing to say. Right. You know, like this is some tea. This, oh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, now you're getting my goat. <laughs> um, we can come back to that. Why don't you put us back on track here? Okay, okay. Well, I did just want to drop in the story real quick, speaking of stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the first time I came to your house, as since <laughs> you fed me, and uh, are you gonna talk about food? Yeah, I mean, just for a minute because I think it is so important. You know, I do appreciate that you share this knowledge with people, you know, with Cherokee people and with other people, and. When I came, you fed me and my daughter, and you fed us those dumplings. And so now I have that connection, too. And those dumplings were wrapped up in hickory leaves. Mm -hmm. and For flavor. Yeah, and there was sochan 
there on the mm-hmm. side, and there was hominy, which it's literally the only time I've ever liked hominy. <laughs> well, it's real hominy. Exactly. It's processed. Yeah, and homemade. When I tasted that food, I tasted everything that went into it, and one of my favorite stories ever is this story because. My daughter looked at me taking that first bite and she said, Mom, are you going to cry? Because I probably had tears in my eyes at the time because yeah. it was so incredibly meaningful. And that's the way that food should be. Wow. <laughs> and it wasn't just the two hours that you took to prepare that meal. It was also the hours that it took to process that hominy. You know, in the lie, it was all the work that went into growing those foods on that traditional land. Before I even made, we call it skin corn here. They don't, they don't just say, they don't call it hominy. Mm -hmm. They call it skinned corn. Yeah. Because you got to skin it. Right. And um, my grandma had a sister named Bo Peep. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Um, technically, Bo Peep was my grandma's first cousin, but they were sisters. They were close. Mm-hmm. And they always talked about growing up, how they grew up. And so I had the privilege of spending time on the phone with Bo Peep. Every now and again, I mean, well... Actually, pretty pretty frequently compared to a lot of my other immediate family. Like, I, I would be the one to talk to her, you know. And she would, part of that is because she would tell me, she said, I like talking to you, Tyson. Because you, it's like you understand, you know. Mm. And I'm like, well, it's because I was raised by, you know, I was raised by your homegirl. <laughs> <laughs> um, who was my number one gal. Mm. And, um. And she, I remember when she used to talk about when they had to wash the corn after it was skinned. The real work is you spend hours washing it. Because mm. it's boiled in caustic ash. Yeah. And so you've really, that's where the work is. Yeah. I mean, you can dump corn into wood ashes anytime. Mm-hmm. But if you want to work that corn and get the food out of it, then you've got to engage in the arduous, laborious task of washing it. Yeah. And so Bo Peep used to talk about how they used to wash it in the creek. Oh, wow. They spent hours, and they were kids when they had to do it. Having to wash that corn in the rushing mountain streams. And that, of course, you know, captivated me. Yeah. But what was awesome was, was the, her, her level of exasperation just when she would tell that story. It's almost <laughs> like she brought herself to that place of doing it again. Yeah. And for as dreadful as it was, 
because I remember she said, and you had to wash and wash and wash and wash and wash that corn. <laughs> you know, and I just, I just remember laughing, like really howling, because that's how they had to earn their food. Mm. Yeah. So brings up then a teaching. It does. Who was earning their food? Yes. These are some profound lessons, I feel like, that, you know, we get to hear. We get to hear these stories, you know, mm. quite a lot, you know, but I have another aunt. She's always remembering, and she'll tell my mom, you remember that? <laughs> you know, my, my mom is not the kind of person. She doesn't like to reminisce. Because yeah. <laughs> life was hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It. It brings back this thing that I've thought about for a long time since I started really foraging, really getting into it. It's like there's these two options, right? Do you work for your food or you work for your food? <laughs> yeah. Do you work to do you work the job to pay to buy the food? Or do you work like you're saying to earn the food? Yeah. By doing the work. One of my sister sister girls here in this community, she's she has danced her way into the heavens now. But she said some really awesome things, even to our own tribal government, when they were making decisions that were just going to benefit them, certain individuals. And I remember one day she stood at the podium. And she was calling them out for their decision. That was very, you know, self-loving, self-favoring. And she was, she, she was like hammering down on them and said, no, we're all going to eat. Not just you. Yeah. And not just you. Not just those of you sitting up here in these seats of power. Yeah. We're all going to eat. And that is that spirit of my grandma, my granny. Mm -hmm. As long as they lived, as long as they were around, everybody ate. Yes. Love it. And even my mom, now my mom's not as much of a big cook as they were, um, but my mom always says, but I know how it's supposed to taste. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and, um, but even, even, even my mom said that my, my great granny, my granny's mama, had uh -huh. said, you know, people will always be hungry, meaning feed them. Yeah. And so I think that's another reason why I've gotten into really focusing on these foodways. Yes. Because, I mean, this year, I think it was because of the whole, you know, stay at home orders. To me, stay at home means go to the woods. Yes. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> stay at home, go to the woods. Yeah. Stay at home, bye, tell somebody you're busy. Too busy today. Yeah. Um, 
but fortunately, and this was the first year that I've ever um, pickled ramps. Oh, and I got some, and they were so delicious. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And Cherokees love ramps. Mm-hmm. We love ramps. And so I don't have a lot of resources, especially for freezing food. Like, yeah. I've only got that poor little refrigerator <laughs> over there that's... That refrigerator, she's tired. <laughs> <clears throat> but... um. So I've had to focus more on pickling and canning. Yeah. So I canned about a case of ramps, and then I pickled about a case of ramps. Nice. But I also canned poke salad. I've been po- I've been canning poke salad for a few wow. years. Wow. So it's really nice because all you got to do is just open the jar and dump it in, and yeah. scramble some eggs on top of it. <laughs> yes, that's you have this, so like, incredible. Really deluxe, like totally gourmet. Mm-hmm. Food. It is. Narrative. Yes. And um and I hope to see more people, especially, you know, around where I live, to um to do this, to provide. Yeah. For themselves. Yes. And my hope is that people can become more self sufficient in that way. Yeah. And because you have, then you'll have food to share. Yes. And then when you have food to share, other people are going to share. Yes. You know, so you won't just be eating your 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 lonely greens all by themselves. Like <laughs> something else is going to happen. You know, like right. Somebody's going to bring pumpkin bread because they grew yes. pumpkins. Yes. You know? <laughs> somebody's going to have black walnuts in their pumpkin bread mm. because they took the time to pick up the black walnuts yes. and crack them themselves. Yes. <laughs> well, on that note. I just want to take a quick moment to say, if you're just now joining us, that we have the great honor today to hear from Tyson Sampson, um, Cherokee tribal member and consultant on his family's traditional food ways. And I hope that you'll stay tuned to the end of this interview. And if you like it and you want to hear more, there's a couple ways that you can do that. Uh, There is a presentation that he did with some other Cherokee members uh, for Organic Grower School on gathering and wildcrafting and cultivating traditional crops that you can get on their uh, website, Organic Grower School, and you can find that link on the blog at thewanderschool.com. And that's also a great way to do something that we're going to talk about in a minute, which is reciprocity and give back. Um, and also, Tyson has some of his amazing body butter for sale that he has made in collaboration with the Patchwork Alliance. That's a combination of their botanicals and his botanicals, many of which are wild and some grown on the Cherokee land. So very exciting. Um, And I just wanted to also invite you to become a patron on patreon.com slash the wander school so that you can get the bonus interview that we're going to do 
where Tyson is going to talk about his knowledge of a few traditional Cherokee plants. And because of what we've been talking about, I really want to make that interview available for free to Indigenous folks. So I'm happy to share that with you, Tyson. And also, if there's anyone listening who doesn't know Tyson, just send me a message and I will send you the link to that because I think it's really important too that it's shared. So we wanted to talk about something. I mean, I could talk to you forever about all of this and I would love to have you back anytime, but I know something that was really important as well that we wanted to talk about was this acronym of TEK or tech traditional ecological knowledge and it's something that's being talked about more now and we wanted to talk about what it is and what does it mean Mm -hmm. so you want to share your understanding of that what it means to you yeah uh i've been hearing that term a lot a lot a lot for the past three or four years Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, uh, at, at first it sounds a little intimidating, you know, like, uh, that's too many words. <laughs> I think it's too many words for something that's like really um, simple, mm-hmm. and, uh, really a sense of common sense. Really, and but it does also bring up that it is sensitive. It's sensitive for, and that's why I can I can I have I have to say I can say that I can't speak for nobody else, but myself. And in my experience with uh, talking to other Cherokee people about their experiences with. Um, culturally sensitive plants Mm -hmm. it usually has to do with food and that's why I feel so much um, humbleness and humility when I talk about you know the family that I come from that I was born into because um it is it it is about food you know i think um growing up uh, in tribal community it was kind of always looked down upon for for people who were romanticizing native american culture um and so you know there's not too much emphasis put on like the the expression plus you know we've the Indian people have been under such um heavy pressure 
from federal policies. Mm. I mean, once they couldn't kill everybody, you know, then they instigated other policies. You know, a lot of that came from the boarding school. And so the boarding school really forced us to assimilate and to abandon, especially our our language. Mm-hmm. And, and definitely our belief systems. You know, we had to renounce any any ideas or belief systems that weren't congruous to the standard, the standard operating procedures of um, what was in power and what is in power. Yeah. What is at play with uh, the, um, the institutions of government policies and the corresponding religion, religious indoctrinations. That's sort of like one serious area of a big part of tribal community now who, you know, so focused on money, you know. Well, at least the people in power are focused on money. Other people are just focused on, you know, maybe hope, hoping to have something good to eat that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also gets back into the, the rest of the traditional uh, aspects, even like using nature's bounty mm-hmm. to soothe the body systems during times of, uh, well, especially more so now in this pandemic, but, you know, just soothing the body's mucous membranes during this mm-hmm. change in temperature because yeah. it's getting colder now because we're going into winter, you know, and we have some very basic plants that really help with that. Um and and yet, you know, I hear people I grew up with, people my my age, people that I talk to, and they say, "Oh, you know, so and so's got a cold, so we're gonna go get stop by the store and get some Zyrtec." Right. And I say, "Why do that?" You know, here's a bag of some roots. <laughs> Just pull that. Yeah. You won't like it. I mean, you won't like the taste of it, you know. But these are the things that's always been on hand, you know, because it has not been too long ago. And that's why I was always fascinated by my grandma, because they didn't have grocery stores. Yeah. They definitely didn't have, like, health food stores Mm -hmm. or drug stores. And they really didn't have hospitals. Yeah. You know. So anyway... um, that term, though, to me, for me, focuses on the food because that's, I shared this one day, at, um, a talk. It was a certain committee meeting that um, I was invited to share my aspect on 
having talked to a lot of people about our spring foods. Mm. And, um, and in talking to uh, those committee members that day, it came to me, like, I don't come from a romantic Native American dynasty, you know, um, regal indigenous regalia and this and that. Um, what makes my family, <laughs> what makes my family, what made my family Indian is our, is our relationship to the foods. Yeah. And the language, too, mm -hmm. you know, even though my family don't speak fluent Cherokee anymore necessarily. I mean, when the, when, it, when the certain terms and things come up in conversation, like oftentimes people will say, oh, I remember that, or that's familiar, you know. Um, but I don't come from a powwow family or, you know, we've, we've never done um, dances or ceremonies, you know. And part of that was because, you know, I've learned in my own um, my own self work that that was um it was really in the best interest to not engage in those practices because of the the level of persecution that was um, threatened you know and so <clears throat> that is my explanation about traditional ecological knowledge like if you focus on the aspects of it that are food then the rest follows mm -hmm. you know whether it's the um, the basic remedies you know other you know remedies for just basic um, conditions and so then from there you get into a very broad and or specific realm of not just knowledge but awareness yeah a whole different kind of awareness that You just, um, your mind can't comprehend, you know, because it's um, it's very uh, sacred and divine, you know. And so <clears throat> we come from those kind of people who held that, who held that, uh, that information and that knowledge and um, and to this day it, 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 it can't be broken down and then therefore it can't be broadcast you know so it's like yeah. um, and even then 
I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Because those were instructions that came down the line, mm -hmm. you know, is to don't ever talk about something. Yeah. That you don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Like, I took them as instructions, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I paid attention to those words, but I did. Mm -hmm. And and for as much as I'm sitting here, you know, talking, running my mouth, <laughs> um, I'm reminded about the true way of learning. Yeah. And I said it in a piece that I had written that I shared with you earlier today. Mm -hmm. And um, the words are the true way, like the best way to learn about, you know, plant stuff, ecological information, any of that, mm -hmm. is to A, either have some wise person in your family that can teach you or have a good teacher or maybe several good teachers. Yeah. So, um, and part of that is learning how to listen. Mm -hmm. And I think we live in a society, and maybe I guess people are listening to this podcast, but um, that's a good practice. It is. Listening. It is. And I think we talked a little bit, too, about listening to the divine, whether that be whatever higher spirit you believe in or nature itself and learning that way. Mm -hmm. And we also talked about the flip side of this, which is, you know, some buzzwords that are going on a lot right now, cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, something that I've been trying to insert into my teaching more and more and a big reason for creating this nonprofit is because where's most of the knowledge that we know about plants coming from? It's coming from indigenous people and some It has from, come from. It has come from, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and also some has come from the descendants of enslaved people. So African Americans and African folks. And so acknowledgement and reciprocity are two words that I keep hearing over and over again. Yeah. Well, I, I have to, you know, interject that my, that my, my hope, my desire, after I'm dead and gone, is that there is something here for the younger generations. Mm -hmm. And it may not be right here in this community anymore at that point in time. I have certainly seen or felt a lack every time we lose an octogenarian mm -hmm. or you know any, anybody in their 80s or 90s, you know. And even for like my grandmother's, all her wisdom, she was 56 years old when she died. Wow. Mm -hmm. She died from a massive heart attack. 
But she was a single brown lady who had four, seven kids. So I would have had a massive heart attack, too, if I was her. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? I mean, she was the first out of all her siblings to go. And, um, and that was powerful, you know? Yeah. I watched, I watched an entire family grieve a matriarch that wasn't even that old. So, you know, that was powerful. It was a, that's been 27 years ago. Um, and so with the loss of another tribal person who has knowledge about our language, which is a, it's a form of technology in and of itself. Mm. Every time somebody like that passes away, it's, it's a very big loss. Yeah. And um, even if I don't know them personally, I'm aware that that is like, whoa. What's going to replace them? What can replace that? Who yeah. can replace them? It can't be. Yeah. So, and especially with all the distractions that, that exist today, there's a lot of distractions. And uh, I know that technology is amazing in a lot of ways. I'm glad you're using yours. Um, and I learned from some old Indians, you know, the importance of of um, respecting your technology. Yeah. You know, and treating it like like it's important, mm -hmm. you know, rather than just numbing out yeah. to it, you know. And, yep. Letting it dictate your next move or whatever. Yeah. And so it is important to my hope. And then, like I said, my desire is to see my grandma's people. I think it's better when I say my grandma's people. Because mm. I know that's my people. Yeah. But to see my grandma's people get back what has been lost even before their lifetime. I yeah. don't know if that makes any sense or not. But makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah. Because I see, you know, that there are young people going to be coming through. And they may not have a clue, you know, of who my grandma was. But for the fact that I sat here today and talked about her. Yeah. You know, if they even hear this. Yeah. You know, so it's like, what are the chances? What's the possibility? You know, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Yeah. So did we address everything? I think so. I just want to follow that up by saying that I think some of the ways that we can do that are by acknowledging where we learn things from. And so if I mm -hmm. learn something about a plant from you every time, you know, if that comes up, if I share that, every time I share that, I'm going to say that it's from you. And unfortunately, there are a lot of things we don't know where they came from. We just know they probably came from indigenous folks. And yeah. so 
every time I teach now, you know, I'm really grateful to have learned this, I say a lot of this came from indigenous people or black people, and I want to honor that. Tribal communities, I would say. Yes. I would say. Tribal communities. Instead of wearing out that one word. Yes. You know, interchange it, use it interchangeably with references to tribal communities. Yeah. Because that's Thank what you. that's what this is where where I live is yes. a tribal community. Yeah. And you know, it's not utopia. Right. You know, we don't all get along, you know. Yeah. Um but it's still home. I love that. It's still home. Yeah. Yeah. And I would encourage listeners out there to think about how can you give back for yeah. the knowledge that you've been given and the gifts that you've been given. Yeah. And what does that mean, you know? What does it mean? It might just be like just taken into consideration, you know, like, well, Thanksgiving's coming up. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We have to open a can of worms right at the end of the show. <laughs> I mean, you know. Anytime that people can get off from, like, jobs that they hate, is, mm. that's marvelous. And eat good food. And eat good food. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, you have to put on a dog and pony show, you know, just to show somebody, like, you know, what do you call it, like, give them a shout out, you know. Right. I mean, yeah, no, just just do something like thoughtful. Yeah. Really. Like, teach your kids how to be more respectful. Yes. You know, that's giving back. (laughs) You know, like put it somewhere where it counts. Thanks for saying that. You know, I mean, um, yeah, that's, I mean, you might talk to another Indian who, has a different <laughs> attitude about it, but I don't really have, you know, uh, big expectations about, you know, this type of uh, um, thinking too much about it. Yeah. Um, but but I, I can at least say that I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. That people will find a way to help other people to be more aware, and you know, here, here around, you know, where I live, I mean, I have a my one of my grandma's sisters is still alive, and. She's she's awesome. She's fierce, you know, and she'll she'll get after you if she has to. I mean, she'll make you be uncomfortable if, she, if uh, there's a chance, probably. But um, she um, she taught me a story just like a week ago that she was greeted by some people who thought she was a Spanish-speaking person just because she has she's a full indigenous person Mm -hmm. and that that really offended her 
yeah, to be greeted like that because mm. you know she can't speak Spanish. Yeah, it, it it should be celebrated that she can speak English. I mean, because you know, because our language was taken away from us in that way, like it was yeah. pressed out of us. Yeah, and so. Um, I bring that up because, you know, those are parts of ourselves that we have to work on, you know, as as a group. It's up to us if we want to carry on, um, especially our language. You yeah. Know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I love it when people um, even just learn. Mm. One or two Cherokee words. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, mm. that'll do, that'll help, that'll, that's good, you know, yes. that'll work. You know, but we have to uh, embrace that instead of like carrying that around as um, hurt. Yes. You know? Yeah. So. There's plenty enough hurt in the world. And just do try to do the best we can. Yes. Thank you. And there's herbs for that. There's plants for that. <laughs> yes. On that note, <laughs> we gotta wrap it up. But is there one Cherokee word you would like to leave us with? A Cherokee word. Um I'll let you think about that while I give a little note here. Okay, um, go ahead. I want to say thank you to all of you for listening, for being here. This was an extra bonus in itself. We went a little bit longer than normal, but there was so much goodness to talk about. And, of course, I want to say a huge thank you to Tyson Sampson. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to the patrons for making this possible. If you want to support the podcast and make sure that it keeps happening, please do at patreon.com slash thewanderschool. You can do that for as little as five bucks a month and get the bonus interview that we're going to do with some of Tyson's knowledge on traditional Cherokee plants. And you can check out the blog at thewanderschool.com to get all the links that we talked about. Um, and please like and subscribe to this podcast. Please share it with your plant-loving friends. And please leave us comments because we love to see and hear what you think about these episodes. So, did you think of a word? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, since we were drinking this amazing tea that you made, I want to just say the word hotty-tosty. Hotty-tosty. Hotty toast. Hotty toast. That means uh, tea. Oh, I love yeah. it. And the tea that you made was so good. You said it was uh, hibiscus and tulsi. And oat straw. And oat straw. Yeah. 
And, then, and when I saw it in the jar, I was like, wow, that was fancy. Yeah. And, I, and then I said, where'd you get that? And Abby said, from your, from your drawer, from your cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I have. And I do want to give a special shout out and thanks to Earth Magic in Asheville. Wonderful store. Uh, because they donated the Tulsi from their garden. And Tulsi is an incredible Nervine, wonderful, calming for the nervous system. Adaptogen. An adaptogen, which we all could use some of right now. And Earth Magic is a brand new sponsor of the podcast. So appreciate them. Go visit them. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Tyson. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Mm-hmm. And thank you to all of you out there listening and supporting. Happy foraging and wildcrafting. Yeah. And, and podcasting. Podcasting. <laughs> and we'll see you I next time. I used to be time. a radio DJ. Yeah, it, made, it reminded me of that. That's awesome. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. Don't forget to check the show notes for all of the links from today's episode. Thanks so much to Tina and her pony for the use of their beautiful song, Medicine. I love hearing from all of you, so please leave me your comments. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast and share with folks you know. You can keep learning and following my adventures on thewanderschool.com and the Wanderschool Facebook and Instagram pages. Happy wandering, foraging, and wildcrafting. Come on, everyone, and gather around. Listen to the soothing in this sound. I'm here to tell you that medicine don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground. The medicine we need grows old.